Go to a ju- uh, the book of Judges. All right. Book of Judges, chapter 8. There we go. I don't know about how you are, but that would drive me crazy to see it laying there all night if I had to look at it, so I'll pick it up. Good to see you tonight. Thanks for coming out on a Wednesday night. It's a blessing to have uh, folks here uh, as we go through our, where we've been going through the book of, uh, or the life of Gideon, doing a character study on him. And uh, last week we started on this little episode of Gideon's life. After the victory has been realized and God has wrought all this work, Gideon faces criticism. And so we talked last week about the critical spirit. Uh, And I want to review a little bit for that because it also helps us to set up this evening's uh, responding to a critical spirit. Because uh, as, as we mentioned last week, a critical spirit is something that is so uh, present in all of our lives. There's always people around us that have a critical spirit. Uh, The easiest thing to give is also one of the hardest things to receive, and that's criticism. It's easy to give. It's hard to receive. We don't like taking criticism. We don't like when people are critical with us. And we should not be critical, spirited people. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. We should not look to, be, uh, to, to, to let that leak out onto other people, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, I have to admit, I went on a little fishing expedition because we talked about a critical spirit last week. And so I thought, I'm going to try out, just see how grace, full of grace our church folks are. And I wore a flower tie. And I've got to tell you, some of you have to deal with critical spirits. Uh, and uh, it's, it came out a little bit. I just have, I'm not bitter, uh, but uh, it takes a man to wear a flower tie. Amen? Anybody can wear a manly tie. Just saying. All right. Uh, don't allow critics to cause you to lose your joy. And now we talked last week, I gave, I'm going to go through nine points, but we do it, we'll do it in just two minutes here, but uh, about nine ways we can receive criticism and things that it, because criticism can benefit us. And so let's look at them very quickly. I think it'd, uh, it'd help us just to review them because there's so much uh, if we just apply these things to our life because I can tell you, friend, you're going to face criticism. You're just going to, especially if you're doing something. Now, if you're a do nothing, say nothing, be involved in nothing, have no impact, you can probably escape it. But if you're going to do anything for God or have an impact with any people, or be a help to anybody, you're going to face criticism. But let's look at nine benefits of criticism in review. Number one, looking for seeds of truth in criticism encourages humility. Looking for seeds of truth in criticism encourages humility. They that know God will be humble. They that know themselves cannot be proud. Once we get a good view of who we are, as opposed to who God is, we can't be proud. And we, we've got to humble ourselves. And so criticism helps us be humble and stay humble if we respond to it correctly. Uh, then secondly, number two, learning from criticism allows you to improve. Did you know that the room for improvement is the largest room in your house? <laughs> uh, we have all have room for improvement. And every, almost every critic gives you tools to better yourself, although this is very hard. And I'm not going to reiterate that, but we all understand that it's not an easy thing to take criticism and help use it in a positive way. We want to defend ourselves when we see criticism. But learning from it helps you improve. Number three, 
Criticism opens you up to new perspectives. Uh, That's why it's important to hear people out. It brings perspective. Uh, Because we block ourselves out, or we block our own deficiencies out with our own self-perception. Remember last week I used that illustration, the sun is, I don't know how many thousands of miles uh, apart, uh, wide, but yet you can block out the whole sun with a, with a dime if you hold it close enough to your eye. And that's what our self-perception blocks our view of what we really are because we hold that very close to the vest. So it gives us a different perspective, criticism can. Number four, your critics give you an opportunity to practice active listening. I don't know about you, but I, I just be, I mean, there's nobody here but us, so we can be honest with each other. I hate active listening. I don't, I mean, it's not easy. I'm, I'm not saying I don't like, I don't enjoy it, but it's hard for me. It's hard to active listen. Because when I listen to somebody, especially if somebody's being critical with me, I am forming my rebuttal in my mind. You know how we do that. We hear somebody saying something negative about us, and my mind's going right now. I'm, I'm building my uh, defense in, in my mind. We got to Hear people out. Listen. It helps us, it gives us that opportunity to practice active listening. Number five, you have a chance to practice forgiveness. Amen. What a wonderful thing for us to practice forgiveness. Uh, Well, criticism does that. Uh, You can practice forgiveness. Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. I guarantee you, friend, you'll never forgive anybody else for as much as Christ forgave you for. It'll never happen. Neither will I. And so let's not uh, be hypocritical when it comes to that. Practice forgiveness. Number six, criticism presents an opportunity to choose peace over conflict. Criticism will give an opportunity to choose peace over conflict. When we are criticized, our instinct is to fight. Now what does that do? It It creates more drama. And now you have more problems. Now you have bigger problems than you had when the criticism first started. But Proverbs 10:12 says, Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. Listen, if we fight it out or defend ourselves or get, or get defensive, which is the most natural thing in the world to do when we get criticized, it only usually adds to the problem. Uh, but uh, criticism presents an opportunity for peace, uh, to choose peace over conflict. Number seven. Fielding criticism helps you lessen the need to be right. <laughs> if you handle criticism correctly, it'll help you lessen, it'll help the, it helps lessen the need to be right. We not only want to be right, we want to be declared right. You ever had an argument with your spouse? I never have, but I've heard about them. Uh, you ever had an argument with your spouse and finally one just, fine, okay, I'll let it go. No, 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 I want you to admit I'm right. You know, i got to be right. And uh, we have that need, we have that desire. You see that in our society. We can't just leave groups alone. We've got to declare them right. They want to be declared right, not only, not only just ignored, but declared right. We have that desire in the flesh. And uh, it is so bad for your personal growth And it damages your relationships if you demand to be right all the time. It will. It'll just, it'll it'll kill everything. Your own personal growth being one of the main things. What criticism does, if we field it correctly, it gets us to the point of maturity where we don't need to be right. We don't have to be right. And certainly we don't have to be declared right. 
Number eight, your critics give you an opportunity to challenge your people-pleasing tendencies. This is an important one. We went into detail last week. I don't want to do it again, but this is so big. We all have people-pleasing tendencies, and critics give you an opportunity to challenge those tendencies in your life. We want to please people. Therefore, when a critic comes to us, we automatically, well, we can be devastated. In fact, you can speak to, uh, well, I use speaking because that's something I do, but let's just use speaking. You can speak to a crowd of 100 people, and if you have two negative feedbacks, you're devastated. And you don't think about, well, probably 98 people got something, and these two might not have, but, uh, but uh, we, because we all have tendencies to be people pleasers. But the Bible says in Galatians 1.10, for do I now persuade men or God? That's a good question. Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be a servant of Christ. <laughs> That's pretty strong language. Paul saying if you're a people pleaser, you're not a God pleaser. Now, if you're a God pleaser, more than likely you'll please people too sometimes, but you can't please everyone all the time. And uh, go, uh, get, this is another emotionally and spiritually draining exercise if you try to please everyone. You just try to please everyone with your life. It will just destroy you. You, you won't be able to, to, to function very long. You can't please everyone. Some pe- I've, it is, it, it, I remember, especially as a younger man, I've, it's not become easier as I grow older, but the just pure shock to find out that somebody doesn't like me. How can that be? I don't understand it. But there are people that don't like me. And you know what? There's people that don't like you either. I don't understand it. I like all of you in here, and uh, I don't understand it either. Somebody don't like you. You know what we do, though? We judge the value or character of another person depending on what they think of me. So if somebody doesn't like me, they gotta be all, they got to be, they gotta be wicked, they got to be rotten, they got to be no good because they don't like me. And, and we do that, but that's, a, that's falling into that trap of being a people pleaser. Relationships based on a constant need of approval are one of the most draining things you'll ever be involved in. Live to please one. Live to please one, and it's a lot easier than living to please many. All right, spent too much time on that. Critics give you an opportunity to challenge your people-pleasing tendencies. Number nine, criticism teaches you not to sweat the small stuff. Most criticism that I get about me or about what I do and, you know, whatever, is usually not about anything super important. Usually it's pretty petty. You'll find that in your life too. Your criticism is usually, uh, you know, might be on how you dress or something you said or something that really doesn't matter in the scope of things. Most criticism you'll get, if you ask the question, does this really matter in five years, a hundred years, five minutes, does it really matter? And you'll find many times it doesn't. Criticism is often about petty things because criticism is often petty. Critical thinking, critical uh, spirits are petty. That's what people, critical spirits do. We're going to see that in our lesson tonight uh, when we get to it. But don't caught, get caught up in things that don't matter all that much. Always focus and keep your focus on the main thing, on what's important and what we're all about. We have to do that in church too because, uh, because even though we are a church family, we are redeemed, we're saved, we're Christians, uh, there are still critical spirits because wherever you have a group of people, there's critical people. And don't get caught up 
I get it all the time. I talk to people, invite them into church, and uh, I don't go to church because I went to church, you know, I went to church 82 years ago and, and somebody was mean to me and I haven't been back since. That's the most ridiculous thing in the world. You've been to grocery stores, they've been mean to you. You've been to the movies, they've been mean to you. You've been to uh, the coffee house, they've been mean to you. You've been everywhere, they've been mean. But one place, church, we're going to draw the line there. You know, that, we're going to have them because we have people. And so uh, the, the message, too, we had last week is all these things that we talked about. This is not so you can sit and say, that's wonderful. All these benefits of criticism... I didn't know that by having a critical spirit, I was helping so many people. That's not the purpose of this, that message or these messages here that we're having. Don't be a critical spirit. It's a, it's, it's a terrible thing to be. Uh, there's always, I, I mentioned these things because there's going to be critics and we need to respond to them correctly, but let's not be a critical spirit, a critical-minded person. Uh, it's easy, so easy for me, to look and see the spiritual flaws in William, right? I can look at you, I can see spiritual flaws all over. But it's hard to see spiritual flaws in me. And I'm just playing, with, but you know what I mean. We can look at others and we can see flaws like that. But boy, we look at ourselves and we, we're our most forgiving critics when it comes to ourselves. Uh, and so let's be careful with that. Be an encourager. The world has plenty of critics. Be an encourager. All right. Gideon faced criticism. We're in, we're in Judges chapter 8. Let's look at it. This is after the battle. Uh, he has called the Ephraimites in to help wipe out the kings. They have come in. They wiped out the kings as they were fleeing. So the Midianites were already fleeing. He called in Ephraim kind of as a backup force. They took care of the fleeing Midianites. And now they're mad. Let's look at why. Verse number 1. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not, when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites, and they did chide with him sharply? And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, and what was I able to do in comparison of you? <laughs> then their anger was abated toward him when he said that. Father, help us tonight in this great example of what probably every single one of us face from time to time. Help us to see what Gideon did and follow his footsteps. Help us to see what Ephraim did and never be caught being an Ephraimite. Help us now as we continue in Jesus' name. Amen. What was the problem here? They uh, and, and by the way, here is a time of celebration. I mean, you've got a huge victory. You had 300 men who obeyed God, and with trumpets and a lamp and a pitcher, they beat this huge army back. I mean, this is a time to celebrate, and you've got this dark cloud of critical thinkers that uh, came in in our time. And so the Ephraimites were complaining to him, thinking that they were treated wrongly. When they asked the question, why hast thou served us thus in our modern language? Why did you treat us like that? That's the question that they're asking there. So the complaint came when God was doing a great work for and through Israel, when he delivered them. The timing of the protest was not accidental, friends. It is typical. Because whenever God does a work, 
You can count on the devil to step in with his servants, people that he's using, not necessarily his servants. Sometimes otherwise good people can be used in these times. But he will have his people to come in and thwart it. When our ship is sailing well on the spiritual seas, it will not be long before Satan comes and stirs the water up. That's just the way he operates. Satan does not like to see a Christian going forward. Satan does not like to see a church going forward. And friend, if you've made some decisions lately for God and you've decided you're going to do some things to better your Christianity and grow closer to God and be more faithful to church and do more for Him, you can bet Satan's going to pull out all stops to try and stop you because he doesn't want you to do that. All right, so here you have Gideon. And uh, in Gideon's case... They're not able to do much harm because the work's already been done, but, uh, but they are able to bring a very bad spirit uh, to the process. By the way, the battle's not completely over yet. Gideon does need to get back to the battle, but most of it has been taken care of. Now, how often this type of hindrance happens to God's people? It's in a great week, uh, revival meetings, or a building program going well, and Ephraimites show up and uh, try to, uh, just with sour spirits or act outright hostility, nothing good comes of it except to slow down the work of God. And we have to remember, and, and I am say these things, by the way, we don't look at this just to harp on and, you know, we, to try to make a big deal about these type of things. I'm trying to warn, and I look at these passages, I don't ever want to be this person. I don't want you to ever be this person. And so just like we get up and rip and roar and preach about uh, faithful people and how we need to be like these faithful people, sometimes we showcase a people like the Ephraimites so that we can clearly see, let's not be an Ephraimite. And that's what we're doing here tonight. Uh, so I don't, I'm not a big fan of negative messages, but sometimes we look at a situation and we, are, uh, we, we see the negative side of it. So this hostility came from the Ephraimites. Notice who, committed, who communicated it to Gideon. We expect hostility from the Midianites of the world. We don't expect hostility from the Ephraimites. The Ephraimites are our people. But that's often where hostility comes from. If you are trying to do a work for God, raise your family, do right, be faithful, give, do all those things, uh, Satan will try to hinder you. And if he can't hinder you from without, he will hinder you from within. It'll be in your family. It'll be within uh, the four walls of the church. It'll be within God's, uh, the church family. And, and by the way, it's always more effective from the inside than it is from the outside. So we see the communication of the protest. Then the character of it. It was very selfish. Listen to the question. Why hast thou served us thus? Why have you treated us this way? Now, the question itself made it very obvious who their chief concern was. They were chiefly concerned with how they were treated. And I can tell you, friend, as soon as your focus is all here, you're headed down this path. We cannot get caught up into wondering how we're treated, how that person looked at us. Uh, I got snubbed here. Uh, I, I, you know, <laughs> I could, I'm busier than a one-armed paper hanger on Sunday mornings, and I had a call not long ago I walked right past you, and you didn't shake my hand. And, uh, you know, I hope you know me well enough to know that wouldn't be intentional for anybody. But, uh, you, we, listen, we can't have that attitude. We can't have that attitude to, to constantly look at ways that somebody might be snubbing us. And that's what, that's what this type of spirit does. And we can't have our focus be so inward 
that it's all about how I get treated, and it's all about how uh, whether I'm lifted up properly or whether I'm fit. It's all about me. We've got to put our focus outward, not all inward. So this question should have never been asked. Uh, Matthew 20, 28 shows us how Jesus kept his focus right. Listen to what he says. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister, and, gave, and to give his life a ransom for many. We, if we focus on ourselves, we, we cannot help but get disgruntled. We just will if our focus is in here. Focus has got to be out and serving others. Now, when a person is controlled by selfishness, he will judge every situation in, in how it treats him. Just like the, the, the Ephraimites did here. On the other hand, if a, a selfish person demands very little of themselves in the same situation, like treating others properly, we never, just like that, and I, I'm not hating on the person that called me, it's a very sweet person, but uh, it, you know, there, there's very little attention on how many hands I shook, but you didn't shake my hand. See what I'm saying? It's just that that's how we think. We can't be like that. We can't be like that. You can't focus on what, how was I treated, but at the same time we put so little focus on what am I doing? What am I, how, how many people am I reaching? And how many people, what am I doing for the Lord and for other folks? And so these Ephraimites were all hot and bothered about how they felt Gideon treated them, but they were not at all concerned about how they were treating Gideon. Look at this, the, the, they chided with him sharply. Gideon had just been through one of the greatest victories in the Old Testament, one of the most amazingly used by God men that we see in the pages of our Bible. And they did chide with him sharply. That's how selfish people operate, though. They aren't concerned about what they do. They're concerned about what's done to them. Let's not be an Ephraimite. Secondly, it was arrogant. Look what it says here. Thou callest us not. That's a, the language of a person who thinks he's more important than he is. They were put out because they were left out of the initial call to arms by Gideon. Now, the Bible tells us in chapter 6, verse 35, that Gideon had sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered after him, and he sent messengers unto Asher, and unto Zebulun, and to Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. He did not send any messengers to get Ephraim. It doesn't tell us why. Now, Ephraim did not border the valley of Jezreel like all those others did. It seems like Gideon was calling the people that were in the right area. Uh, they weren't as close to the valley as the Midianites uh, were to the other tribes. And so uh, that seems to be Gideon's plan. Later, maybe it was the plan from the beginning as well, because later Gideon did call Ephraim to the battle. And uh, they came near and they helped him out. But that was not good enough for them now. They feel like they were slighted. Now the question is why? Why would they feel slighted? Why would they feel bad about it? By the way, arrogant people, this is why I'm saying this is an arrogant complaint because arrogant people are very upset if they feel slighted in any way. Uh, no, it, it doesn't even have to be a real one. It can just be an imagined slight and it can be a very uh, loud protest. And so, but let's, let's, let's look at why, because I believe there's a reason. It's also deceptive. Their complaint implies they would have responded to Gideon's call had he simply called them. But I don't believe that's the case. The Ephraimites were the kind, as we will see, proven later in the book uh, of Judges, they were the kind that only responded when there was a favorable outcome guaranteed. 
They did respond to Gideon after the enemy is running away, but they did not uh, volunteer their services before. And Matthew Henry puts it well. Why did not the Ephraimites offer themselves willingly to the service? They knew the enemy was in their country. They had heard the forces were raising to oppose them, to which they ought to have joined themselves in zeal for the common cause, even without a formal invitation. Uh, Jameson says it this way, had they really been fired with the flame of patriotic zeal, they would have volunteered their services in a movement against the common enemy. But when Gideon extended the call the first time, the outcome looked really bad for the Israelites, right? Because there was 300, uh, well, not yet, but there was way less. There was only 32,000 then. It was still way too few to go. So it wasn't a, uh, hey, let's go fight with them because they're going to die. That was the thought. And so they did hold back. The real reason that Ephraim here is bent out of shape is that they're going to miss out on the glory. Uh, think of the glory that they thought the 300 would get at this time. Now again, this is the difference between carnal thinking and spiritual thinking. The truth is, all the glory went to God. God made sure of that. When 300 people take on 135,000 and the 300 win, it's not the 300 that did the work. Can we agree to that? I mean, it's God that did the work. So the glory went to God, and the 300, no doubt, would have agreed with that, uh, that's, but, but, but prideful people don't think that way. Prideful people are all about the glory that goes that they feel they can get. And so that's, that's why the easiest, most peaceful existence as a Christian is just serve God in your lane. Just let him get the glory. Don't try to hog any glory. Just let him have it. Just serve, and, and God will use you so greatly. I wonder, well, I don't really wonder, but... <laughs> What if Gideon had failed? Would the Ephraimites be here? Man, I wish we'd have been with them. Highly doubtful. Uh, in 2 Samuel 23, we have the story of David's mighty man. I love that chapter because it talks about these great, wonderful feats. One of the men was Eleazar, son of Dodo. If a son of Dodo can do something great for God, any of us can do something great for God. But here's Eleazar, the son of Dodo. And they, they're facing the Philistines. And everybody runs. They, they, when they're facing the Philistine army, the, all the Israelites, they ran for their life. And then the Bible says in, uh, that not Eleazar though, says in verse 10 of 2 Samuel 23, he arose and smote the Philistine until his hand was weary and his hand claved to the sword. The idea is that when he was done fighting, somebody probably had to help pry his fingers off the sword because they were so stiff with just holding on and fighting these Men, the Bible says, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. But it's the rest of the verse that always makes me chuckle. Remember the people all ran? They ran for the hills when they saw the Philistines. There was a battle about to be taken place. Eleazar stayed and fought by himself. And the Bible says, and the people returned after him only to spoil. We still have these people in our churches today. The returning only after spoil <laughs> Christians if you wanted to name that way. And uh, simply, again, a reminder, let's not be that person. Let's be somebody who's willing to do the work God has for us. Let's get involved. Let's get uh, with the vision of, uh, of, of the church that we're in, and let's be a part of it, and let's be willing to be used and not be the person that comes back only to spoil. So it was selfish. It was arrogant. It was deceptive. It was also mean. 
They did chide with him sharply. They were, the words they used were strong, they were bitter, they were cutting. They gave a harsh rebuke. And this would not be easy for Gideon. It never is. But imagine coming off of the tremendous emotional expenditure of this victory. And now he has to hear this. Uh, here is a man that initially doubted the call to take on the Midianites uh, he, with this inferior force, but he obeyed. He did what God told him to do. He courageously led the attack against Midian. All he did is what God told him to do, and God did give him a great victory, putting his stamp of approval on what Gideon had done. Israel was delivered, and now he's getting a dressing down by his own people. Uh, it, it, would, it was a mistreatment of God's servant here. And, but yet, look at how he responds. And that's what fascinates me in this passage because uh, I, I love when people, when I see great lessons here for myself because I think he responded so much better than many of us would. <laughs> I mean, what's the automatic reaction? We talked about it all, the whole message last week. What is our automatic reaction when we get criticized? When we get criticized, especially if it's immensely unfair, like this was. And we want to fight back. We want to defend ourselves. Look what Gideon says. This is incredible. He said unto them, verse, verse 2, What have I now done in comparison to you? He said, I've done nothing as great as you guys have. What you've done is far greater than what I've done. He diffused the situation. By not fighting back. Proverbs 15.1. Soft answer turneth away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. I, I got to tell you, and I know I'm, I'm speaking to mostly imperfect people. Maybe a few of you have got it down, but mostly imperfect people. Grievous words are fun, aren't they? They feel so good. Grievous words. Man, when we get attacked or we get dressed down. or Man, grievous words are our go-to words. Those are the... Words that our flesh comes up with. And remember when I talked about active listening? Especially if they're talking uh, and we, the grievous words are just building and building and building. We've got them all loaded up like a loaded shotgun ready to go. The Bible says a soft answer turneth away wrath. And so that's what Gideon did. He quieted their hostility. This pacifying is what I'm going to call it, the pacifying, because We'll talk about that a little bit, but Gideon's handling was, was really impressive. His de this is what George Simeon said about this, or Charles Simeon, sorry. His defeat of all the Midianite hosts with only 300 men is less worthy of admiration than the self-possession he exhibited here. Now, I had to stop and think about that statement. That's an amazing statement. That his victory right here in verse 2 is greater than his victory over the Midianites with 300 men. But then I remembered a Bible verse. He that ruleth his own spirit is better than he that taketh a city. And that has to kind of agree with this. He had good grounds for that. He that is, uh, verse, Proverbs 16.32 is the one I'm referring to. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He that ruleth his spirit better than he that taketh a city. I can imagine what Gideon's flesh wanted to do. Turn his 300 loose on them. Hey, get your pitchers, your trumpets, and get these guys. But he didn't. He used a soft answer. Now, 
God, according to Proverbs 16.32, don't miss this, God puts his medal of honor on people who rule their spirit. That's what he said. Greater than taking a city, greater than a mighty man. You rule your spirit, that's how you get God's medal of honor. Now, how could Gideon respond this way? There's one answer, one answer. It goes against everything that the Ephraimites felt, everything, their makeup, the way that they were, that we've been talking about here. There's one way that Gideon could come back with an answer like that, and it's very simple. He was more concerned about God's glory than he was concerned about his own. Remember I talked about the outward look? They looked inward. Look how you treated us. That's not fair. Gideon's looking outward. He's not looking inward. Gideon's long since cared how he got treated. He's looking at outward and making sure God got the glory. So he lowered himself to calm the Ephraimites. What have I done now in comparison to you? Now, of course, nobody is going to look at this situation and think, yeah, the Ephraimites did do more than Gideon. That's not the point. The point is, uh, he is just, uh, he, he's just willing to lower himself. Humble yourself in the sight of God. He'll have mercy. I can't remember exactly the verse. But he humbled himself. Uh, by the way, nobody would believe that. Nobody would look at that statement and believe it. Actually, there was one group that would, the Ephraimites. They would look at it. Yeah, yeah, we did do more than you. And that's how they responded. They it made them back down. Uh, this, th th they had accomplished something, by the way. They did good. They did what they were asked, so that is admirable. But he had led the attack. He was the mighty man of valor that God chose. But now he's willing to take a back seat following a principle that was penned 1,200 years later in Philippians chapter 2, in lowliness of mind, esteem other better than themselves. Now, are we willing to do what Gideon did? It, it, did, it didn't matter to him who gets the glory. Because there, it, well, we get into it a little more, but the Ephraimites are glory hounds. That's what they were. They were glory hounds. And, he, and Gideon's like, all right, you can have your glory. He builds them up, puts himself down. Man, this is so against our flesh and what we want to do. We don't want to lower ourselves. We want to lift ourselves. But he just, hey, you guys did wonderful. You did much more than I did. And this is, this is again, it's hard for our flesh. And, uh, but it certainly brings about a better result. Wouldn't you say? If Gideon got his 300, I'll show you knuckleheads. By the way, that's what happened later. We're not even going to get to it tonight. I don't think we don't have time. But it's amazing what happens to them later. Um, but in lowering himself, Gideon was very careful. This is a good point to make, too not to take any glory away from God. Matthew Henry again, he is willing to diminish his own performance, yet he will not take any flowers from God's crown to adorn theirs. He said when praising them here, God hath delivered you uh, into your hands, the princes of Midian. It's impressive. The spirit of Gideon in dealing with this hostility is not ever easy to deal with folks like this, but when you are not concerned about personal glory, it makes it a lot easier if we're not concerned about building ourselves up. Again, focus here or focus there. If our focus is to give God the glory, we're not going to get all bent out of shape when we don't get some. And that's what Gideon was here. He's, he's okay. He's ready to give it. The Ephraimites indicted themselves here, though. When Gideon praised them for their capture, he said, what was I able to do in comparison to you? 
I did nothing compared to you. Look what the Bible says. Then their anger was abated toward him when he said that. The one thing the Ephraimites wanted was praise. That's all they wanted. They wanted some glory. They, it seems here they were addicted to self-glory. Good thing Facebook didn't exist here because they'd have been all over it. Uh, but it's interesting, Gideon didn't even give them an explanation to their question. They were not after an explanation. They were after exaltation. They, they, they uh, basically, uh, they, they couched it in the fact that they wanted an explanation, but that's not what they were really after. They wanted glory. They wanted exaltation. And so they tried to disguise it, but as soon as they got their glory that they wanted, they dropped the explanation business. Gideon could have given them a great reason. God is primarily was directing the show. I'm sure Gideon was following God's instructions, but all he had to do was stroke their ego a little bit, and they were placated. It shows that this was a bully's temper, not a hero's temper. Now, praise has its place. We all like praise. Amen? I mean, I like praise. Who doesn't like praise? I, I love praise. I like thank you notes. I love getting thank you notes. I like thank you texts. When I get thank you notes, I keep them. Because if I have a down day, I pull them back out and read them again. That person used to like me. <laughs> and I like, I like thank you notes. But uh, we ought not... I, I called a man. I, I actually sent a thank you note a few years ago. I, I send a lot of them myself. So I, I sent a thank you note to a guy. He was in his 60s. And he calls me up a few days later. And he, his exact words, I want to thank you for the greatest gift anybody's ever given me. A thank you note. Now, is that the greatest gift anybody's ever given him? No, but he felt like that at the moment. Hey, praise is a good thing. Praise is a good thing to give. Praise is a great thing to hear. It's all fine and good, but we ought to desire the praise of God more than we desire the praise of people. We, we've got, and, and that's all Gideon was concerned about. He didn't care about who got the glory. What was it, one of the presidents in our nation? I forget which president, but uh, it, it's no end to what can be accomplished if you don't care who gets the credit. That's what, where Gideon was. Get, the Ephraimites did well in their victory, but if you'll do well only when you're praised, you won't do much. Let's not operate on praise. Let's operate on principle. All right, very quickly, I, I want to wrap this up. Uh, th this was a temporary pacifying because years later, uh, Ephraim pulled it again. We're not going to turn there, but it's found in Judges chapter 12. Ephraim pulled the same trick, this time with Jephthah. Jephthah, uh, he judged Israel 50 years after Gideon did, and he led Israel in a great victory over the Ammonites and in an almost uh, exact same situation in Judges 12.1, so the Bible says the Ephraimites gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon and didst not call us to go with thee? It's the exact same thing they had a problem with Gideon. The, the truth of the matter is, Gideon placated them, and he had work to do. He had to continue his battle. He couldn't take time to mess with it. But he didn't ever really deal with them. He just placated them. And placated bitterness never resolves itself, ever. You can't placate a bitter person and hope it to resolve itself. It'll raise its ugly head back again as it did here. Uh, again, they're upset because they didn't get the glory that Jephthah got. So just like they did with Gideon, they complained they were not called to battle, but they went a little further this time. 
Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon, and didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. So we're going to put you in your house, we're going to burn you in it, because you didn't call us to help you fight. Pride and bitterness always grows worse over time. They were just chiding Gideon. Here they're ready to burn this man up in his house because he hadn't called them to fight. Appeasement of bitter people will never last. So they need to be held to account. Well, Ephraim had not learned any lesson under Gideon, uh, but they're going to learn one here because Jephthah did not respond the way that Gideon responded. Jephthah said in Judges 12.4, or he did, then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim, and there fell at that time of the Ephraimites, 40 and 2,000. So he just said, all right, going to burn my house up? It's on. And he took them out. 42,000 people died because of a silly pride issue. Ephraim got what they had coming to him, really. Uh, Gideon had been complimentary to them, but that didn't take care of the problem. Prideful people they need to be dealt with and called out. And here he took care of the problem here. Romans 16, 17, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offense contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. And so he did deal with them here. But how sad that Ephraimites had to be like this. I mean, there's this, they, they did a good thing for Gideon. They could have helped out Jephthah. They were part of the children of Israel. They didn't have to be like this, and yet they were. Jephthah condemned the Ephraimites by exposing their dishonesty. Uh, they claimed he didn't call them to battle. He reminded that, by the way, he did call them. They just said he didn't, uh, but they didn't respond. So letter was lost in the mail, or whatever the reason was, they didn't respond to his call for battle. But the Ephraimites, again, were the, only, were the kind of people that only went to battle when there was assured outcome. They didn't want to risk anything, so they didn't go with Jephthah. Jephthah dealt severely with them. Uh, they were victims of their own pride. That's why the Bible tells us, Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction. And so people like the Ephraimites who only want to serve God when there's glory in it, you, you won't do much. We don't want to serve God for glory anyway because we want to give Him the glory for doing it. Amen? I, we, want to give, we want to point all glory to the Lord for what he does. And that's what Gideon wanted. That's what Jephthah wanted initially there. And, but the Ephraimites, they wanted that glory. So we need to take this warning from them. Let us then not serve in, in a spirit of self-promotion. Let's serve in a spirit of obedience, like Gideon did. Gideon gave us the example. But the lesson that we go away with tonight, what a way to respond to criticism. Uh, there's always going to be Ephraimites. As long as we live in an imperfect world, as long as people are sinners, and I believe that's every one of us in here, right? Raise your hand if you're not a sinner. Okay, that's what I thought. So as long as we're sinners, there's going to be Ephraimites. Put your hand down. Did he raise his hand? That's, yeah, put your hand down. We already, we already discussed this earlier. So, uh, But there's going to be these problems. So how do, how do we handle it? It's going to come. Opposition's going to come. How do we handle it? Gideon, man, did a great thing. I mean, again, it wasn't dealt with, but it wasn't his place at the time. He had other work to do. He was able to just put, humble himself, let God lift him up, 
and he took care of the problem. Let's be like Gideon. Let's not be like Ephraimites. Father, we thank